0: Why don't we get into this, because we're going to just shoot the breeze yeah. all night, which is not the worst thing in the world, but I like getting episodes done.
1: Yes. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> and now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Genesis. What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner, now
0: ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I
1: got nowhere up the go. I got nowhere up to go.
0: I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and this time out, I am joined by my good
1: buddy, Professor Alan Middleton. How you doing? Hello. Oh. I'm doing well. All things considered, you always have to say that here. I've no idea when you're going to release this but uh, this is in the in the uh, the we call this the what the quarantine era, the covid era, the covid and quarantine. So you always the tongue. <laughs> so you always have to say pretty well all things considered.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know if at some point I will get covid but so far right now I just have cabin fever. <laughs> exactly.
1: I hear you, buddy.
0: So I uh I just thought, what the heck? Let me call up the professor and see if he's in the mood to record an episode. And as always, he was.
1: <laughs> That's always available. <laughs> I mean, at least uh, at least these days, I I can say it's you know. It's not just because I have no friends and no one wants to talk to me. It's, 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 I'm in lockdown. No, I mean I would go out with all my all, all my friends and have parties and stuff, but no, I can't now, Paul. That that's the only reason I'm free.
0: <laughs> the way I see it is, you're happy when I call, and your wife is probably even happier. Oh yes, <laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> so, I, have you been doing any uh, any comic any extra comic reading in the uh, quarantine?
1: Well, I have done a little bit of, uh, of uh, reading. I, I did a couple of uh, PayPal orders with my local comic shop for the uh, sort of, you know, just send me a grab bag of books for curbside pickup. And I got to say, they pick books and also some sci-fi magazines that they have in stock. The so- most recent selection I got was A – they overserved me. I sent them X amount of do- I sent them X amount of dollars, and they put in about fifteen dollars more worth of stuff in the bag, and uh, and uh, much better selection than I would have made. So <laughs> tell you,
0: uh, I right now I think you know places are happy to have customers, and yeah, uh, that's sort of being well, I don't of know, I don't believe that the comic stores that I frequent have any. Uh, any sort of online or roadside, uh, curbside pickup right now. So I've been kind of going through withdrawal, you know, much like a drug addict with my lack of comic (laughs) books. Uh, Very sadly, the uh, owner of, I guess, my prime LCS, because I go to several, but the one that I've used the most over the years, uh, passed away about a week ago, not from COVID, uh, Mm. but just the same, you know, at, at a relatively young age of 61 years old, Poor guy uh, mm-hmm. passed away.
1: We aren't that far away from that, are we, Paul?
0: Not nearly far enough.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's yeah, tough. Yeah, it
0: was very very sad news, and, you know, he's always been, a, you know, a decent guy to me, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I was caught off guard by that, because, uh, you know, I was kind of missing going to the stores in the first place, and then, you know, you get word that, that you'll never go back, because he's not going to be there ever again.
1: Wow mm-hmm, mm. that was a positive way to start the show. yeah really <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, so on that happy note,
1: mm-hmm. uh, I,
0: I am just looking forward to the stores opening up again because I uh, I had been you know recently kind of revived in my uh, back issue been diving. Uh, you know, I know, you know, you'd shake a finger at me because, mm-hmm. yep. you know, I haven't I, I haven't found the place that has decent ones for a quarter yet. But, uh, you know,
1: I I've heard you talk about two dollar, three dollar, four dollar complex. I I I just blame that on New York uh, prices. To me, that sounds that's got to be the equivalent of a quarter or 50 cents down here and fly over country. Right.
0: Yeah, I would say. <laughs> but, you know, at, at two dollars, uh you know, my want list is uh, is primarily, you know, older books, uh, you know, right. but but, it, but some of them, you know, go into the late 80s and uh, for the later 80s ones, I try to limit myself to a buck. But, you know, when you start getting older than that, you know, I, I feel like two bucks is a fair price Yeah. just as a general rule. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to have different variations on the title and whatever. Uh, but you know, I'm willing to go two bucks most of the time. Uh, I I had found a new store recently, uh, where the, you know, it was, it's a small store. They have a modest selection, but, uh, every once in a while I find something that the, you know, the owner is very, very willing to bargain with you. Uh, to the point where like he offers bargains that you're not even asking him for. You're not even trying to, uh, haggle with him. And he says, you know, yeah, this adds up to $24. I'll give it to you for 20. You know, just mm-hmm. just off, you know, without even you asking for it, uh, I bought a couple of uh, Treasury editions from him that were listed as ten dollars each on on the uh, you know on, on the cover, you know, on the on the bag. It had a little sticker that said ten dollars each. It's like, yeah, I'll give them to you for five dollars each. Then uh, he, he looked and he says, uh, "Do I have any other Treasuries over there?" And and he the only one he had was the first issue special of Action Comics number one right the, the treasury sized one of that and and that was that had a ten dollar sticker on it and he was like yeah there's only one left here and he just threw it in
1: <laughs> yeah i think that that's sort of the uh the retailer approach that i see you know my my lcs did you know when they were somehow you know when they were pulling the books for me i think they felt like uh they just needed to overcompensate i think so that's great great customer service can't beat that
0: yeah, yeah, he's and he's you know he's a nice guy and uh, I, I've liked going to the store but you know it's a small store with a fairly modest uh, you know inventory and I'm concerned that when this ends uh, you know he may be like yeah I couldn't keep it going anymore I'm closing it down you know yeah, I, I, I think yeah, that, that's
1: going to happen to some percentage
0: yeah stores like that are are hard to come by these days so I'm hoping he'll still be there when I can go back with some money in hand
1: mm-hmm, definitely.
0: But, so for now, I'm getting my comic fix by uh, doing this show.
1: Ah, there you go.
0: (laughs) So we have two books planned, very, very different books, but from the same year.
1: Ah, there you go.
0: So I took uh, Lethal Foes of Spider-Man number one from September of 1993, uh, which is the first of a... uh, believe four-issue, but maybe five-issue miniseries. Ooh, I think it was four. I think it is also. Yeah. Uh, it is actually the second. The first po- first uh, miniseries was The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man, and it had a similar but not exactly the same cast of villains. Uh, that one had, uh, if I'm, trying, I'm working off memory here, Boomerang and Rhino, who are both in this one, but then it had... Oh, boy, sudden I'm drawing a blank. The Kingpin was kind of manipulating things from behind the scenes. And oh, who else was there? I don't even remember offhand, so I'm, I'm going to stop trying. Oh, the Beetle was a big <laughs> character in that one. Ah, okay. Uh, and, you know, it, it ended off... Uh, It was, if I remember right, it ended off where the Rhino, the whole thing for the Rhino was he was trying to get the costume off because it was kind of grafted to him, and he finally got it off, but then something happened where somebody got him angry, and it ended with him going to get it put back on. (laughs) So, the synopsis for this one, and I am stealing a fairly lengthy uh, synopsis from Marvel Wiki for this, Uh, and... It is, as I said already, September 1993. The cover is by Scott McDaniel, Brad Vankata, and Dave Sampson. I'm not sure who had what role. I assume Scott McDaniel was the penciler, uh, since he's the penciler of the... Oh, actually, just going from the actual book. Scott McDaniel's the penciler, Brad Vankata is the inker, and Dave Sampson is the colorist. So the cover shows Spider-Man in the center, and he's being held by the throat and his two uh, ankles by four of Doc Ock's extension arms. Uh, but you don't actually see Doc Ock. Behind him is the Vulture and a character called Hardshell. And she was, I believe, introduced in the deadly uh, foes of Spider-Man, but she did not have that kind of an Iron Man-ish armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, below him are Boomerang and the Rhino. Uh, Fairly good cover. I I, I like the action in it. I think everybody's pretty well drawn. Uh, The story is as follows. From his cell in the Vault Prison, Dr. Octopus can feel the destruction of his Admantium mechanical arms thousands of miles away in New York City. The event is seen by members of the press, including Peter Parker, who is photographing the event for the Daily Bugle. Among those gathered is Michael Gertie's Dr. Octopus's lawyer, who claims that the destruction of the mechanical arms is a violation of his client's civil rights. Since this argument has been exa- exhausted in all three levels of the of court, his protests fall on deaf ears. Although the mechanical arms are destroyed, Otto va- vows to get revenge as greater power is soon in his grasp. Back in New York, the courts then destroy the original mechanical arms of Dr. Octopus. Otto feels pain from their destruction as well, and begins to rampage around his prison cell. This sets off the automatic defenses that spray him with knockout gas. As Octavius loses consciousness, Otto vows to get revenge against those who have tortured him. Later, back in New York, Spider-Man celebrates the forced retirement of one of his oldest foes, with the destruction of the mechanical arms of Dr. Octopus. And his multiple life sentences, the wool crawler is convinced he will never see Octavius ever again. Apparently, the wool crawler is not familiar with the ongoing nature of comic books. While back in Colorado, Doctor Octopus awakens to find some telepathic force trying to invade his mind. He can sense the processor that allowed him to control his adamantium arms remotely had miraculously survived the destruction of the arms. As such, someone has managed to gain access to the signal to try and take over his mind. Dr. Octopus refuses and fights off the invasion of his mind. However, Otto decides that he could use the link to take control of the outside mind and force it to free him. When Octavius attempts to establish control again, he is contacted by by the energy form of the answer. The answer apologizes for the painful intrusion as he had grown desperate. He asks Otto to give him a moment to explain his situation. The answer tells him that during the period when the Kingpin and his son Richard Fisk ran Hydra, he was the Kingpin's best assassin, being able to find answers for any problem. It was during this time the man who would become the answer underwent experimentation to get superhuman powers. At first, it appeared as though it had no effect, and the Kingpin eventually returned to his operations in New York City. One day, the assassin was surrounded by enemies, and he was surprised when suddenly he gained super-strength and rock-hard skin, easily trouncing his attackers. Yet, when he returned home, he tried to lift up his fridge, but it wouldn't budge. A week later, he was able to leap out of the way of an exploding boiler. He soon discovered that his body could transmute into powers that could answer all a current problem. Feeling loyalty to the kingpin, he returned to his employ as the answer. He clashed with Spider Man many times until he was seemingly incinerated by the villain known as by the vigilante known as Dagger. In reality he discorporated into unconscious being of energy. That was until recently when a cosmic dis- disturbance caused his awareness to return. Although the answer is now self aware again, he does not have a physical body. He finally found a means of communication. He now offers Dr. Octopus the means of building new mechanical arms and a means of escape in exchange for returning his physical form. The answer determines that the solution to both of their problems can be the Atomic Research Center, the birthplace of Dr. Octopus. Octavius agrees to help him and then banishes the answer from his mind so he can begin to plan. Later, in Lower Manhattan, Elias Hargrove, the last surviving member of Otto Octavius's family, receives a phone call from Otto's lawyer, Michael Gerties. Hearing what the lawyer wants, Hargrove agrees to to the request. As he hangs up the phone, Elias fears that he is doomed. At the same moment, Lila Davis is released from Rikers Island after serving her time. On her way out, one of the guards tells her to stay on the straight and narrow, reminding her that she was legit before she was arrested, and she can be legit again. Lila assures the guard that she will never see her in Rikers again. Shortly thereafter, Lila Davis has called together the Vulture, the Rhino, and Boomerang for her next criminal enterprise. (laughs) Each member of her sinister syndicate has their own motivations. The Rhino seeks to earn enough money to bring his family to America. Boomerang is motivated by money and revenge against the Beetle and the Vulture is seeking a cure for cancer. After hearing her proposal, the trio of villains agree to side with her, for now. After they go, Lila goes over photos and newspaper articles about her late husband, the Ringer. She recalls how she hates the Beetle for using her husband in a battle against Spider-Man, a battle that she blames for his later death at the hands of Scourge. She's upset that someone else has taken up the mantle of the ringer and vows to get revenge against the imposter after she establishes a financial base to strike at her enemies. Meanwhile, the next day, at the Atonic Research Company in Yonkers, New York, Peter Parker takes a tour of the facility. He remembers the first time he came here years ago during his first battle with Dr. Octopus. On the tour, Peter asks about the accident that created Dr. Octopus. While she is hesitant to talk about the troubled part of their history, she tells him that they never found out what caused the accident. Not far away, Elias Hargrove works nervously, as he still thinks he is doomed. Suddenly, Hardshell and her new sinister sinister syndicate come crashing through the wall. They single out Hargrove and demand to know where they store the nuclear blaster. Elias tells him where to find it and even though it is stored behind a four-foot-thick concrete wall, they easily get to it thanks to the Rhino charging through it. Although the Vulture manages to recover the weapon, he is ambushed by Spider-Man. However, the wall crawler is easily incapacitated by Boomerang and hard shell. He is then rammed by the Rhino, who isn't concerned about sparing Spider-Man's life anymore. Seeing the situation, Elias saves Spider-Man's life by activating a plexiglass shield that can withstand the force of a nuclear explosion. The villains try to break through, but are forced to flee when they hear the police approaching. As Spider-Man speaks, Hargrove tries to speak, but he's too frightened to speak up for fear of reprisal from his cousin, Otto Octavius. An hour later in Central Park, the sinister syndicates hide out to make sure they haven't been followed. There, they begin to squabble over who gets to hold the atomic blaster. In the struggle, the weapon goes off, prompting them to flee before they are discovered. They're unaware that the blast from their weapon had struck a nearby homeless man who has been living in the park. This was not just any man, but Vincent Stegron, and the radiation from the blast triggers his transformation back into Stegron the Dinosaur Man. And that's it for the first issue, but
1: wow, a lot went on in there. I mean, that could have been quicker if we just had Dr. Bill do the synopsis. Nothing is quicker when you have Dr. Bill do the synopsis. (laughs) I'm just saying it's it's close. It was borderline. I mean, I'm mean, i just saying. Actually, Doctor Bill has come
0: up. come up with a couple of uh, one-sentence synopses
1: lately. <laughs> I was going to say because someone at Marvel Wiki does not know the meaning of the word summary. But yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> well, you know, in an era no, where ac- we, actually a
1: lot did happen, that that that's that that's fair.
0: And I and I think it's a pretty decent. Uh, description of the act is, action yes, but in, in an era where we're you know repeatedly complaining about decompressed comic books and how little goes on in them you know it's nice to read one that's not that old and is not decompressed that there's a lot going on in it
1: uh, you know all yes, was 20 it was 27 years ago it, yes it, oh,
0: it's kind of old. but but we're into the, <laughs> we're into the 90s already that's which true. is you know into the era of decompressed co- storytelling it's and that's, that's what I meant by that. No, you're right. 27 years ago is a, a fair amount of time. But, uh, you know, as, as we were talking about when we were talking about, like, what books we're looking for, there are very, very few books that I'm seeking to acquire. And to take that a step further, there's quite a few books that were in my collection that I'm looking to uh, move away from and move on from uh, that take place from 1990 on. Not that I'm not a 90s hater the way some people are, but, you know, I had to focus on something and I kind of, you know, I kind of used the mid to late 80s as, as my cutoff point. And that doesn't mean there aren't some series later that I go for. In fact, I have this complete series. Uh, but most of the stuff I have is, you know, 60s, 70s and early 80s. So to me, this is a relatively recent book. <laughs> I'll allow it. (laughs) What did you think of it?
1: I enjoyed it. I like that. uh, I I, I like that notion. I know this isn't the only time it's happened, but I like that notion of Doc Ock, sort of, and that that phantom limb sensation that he has of feeling that connection to his arms, even when they are disconnected from him, and, and feeling the pain as they're being destroyed.
0: I agree. I, I always found that to be a. Uh, I think they first really hit on that in Spider-Man number 90, uh, where, or 89, where he, uh, you know, from far away used his mm. mental connection <laughs> to the, to the arms to have them break out of wherever they were being held and then make their way over to him. Right. I think that was the first time that they used that as a uh, plot point. And, uh, I, I think I think it's it makes for some interesting storytelling, and you know they did kind of hit on the fact that the transmitter, you know, that connects him to the arms, right. was somehow survived the melting process, so that's mm-hmm. still there, so that it makes it very easy for him th- them to revive his superpowers.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this. In- Who is his arch nemesis? Is it Doc Ock? Is it Green Goblin? Is it someone else? Where do you come down on that?
0: Mm, I, I generally go to Green Goblin as his primary nemesis, but Doc Ock is a, kind of a close second.
1: Yeah. I, 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 from what I understand, I think I think Doc Ock was supposed to be sort of the the, the sort of You know he does. He is closer to sort of that mirror image, animal-based, multi-arms, a science guy. You know, so I think to some extent, Doc Ock probably should be. But you know, Green Goblin, I think you know, did wrestle that mantle away uh, from him. I think. Well, uh, I know, think maybe Green Goblin something- was
0: focused on more because of the uh, connection on a personal level, being the father of right. his best friend. I think that Mm -hmm. that had more to do with it. But but Doc, you know, the the multiple arms aspect of it. I I mean, I see where you're going with that, but I never saw that as a key factor. I think the science guy aspect of it is, is, you know, really where you where you went with it, uh, because, you know, he could be a mentor to Peter, a mentor. Right. Uh, Right. And I, I think they really did that very well in the Spider-Man two movie. I think they did it better there than they have in most of the
1: comics
0: (laughs) because the character of Otto Octavius there was not really inherently evil. He, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, a little overreaching in his own, uh, (laughs) opinion of his abilities. right, Right. But he, he did have the good of mankind as his motivation. He just, you know, was misguided in thinking that he could just do it all himself, right?
1: I think the uh, I, I didn't read much of it five six years ago now when when Otto became Spider-Man.
0: Oh I yeah, think, yeah, I, I think I read that most sort of, of helped. Run.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that probably helped helped lift uh, lift Doc Ock at least to a close second uh, behind uh, behind Green Goblin in terms of and. and Terms of that that status as uh, as nemesis.
0: Yeah, I I would tend to agree with that too. Uh, I think you know he uh, he he's always he's always been an interesting villain. I think they've gone through various kind of personas Mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. You know, sometimes you have Doc Ock the the mad scientist. Sometimes you have Doc Ock the businessman, and sometimes you have Doc Ock the organized crime guy. Uh, the way you know depending on how they wanted to focus right. on him i prefer i prefer doc ock the mad scientist personally mm-hmm. but you know if you think of too a lot of his uh you know his a lot of his appearances uh when i was early on in collecting you know in, in the uh, issue you know in the hundreds of spider-man issues uh when he was you know rivaling uh hammerhead yeah, that was more of an mm, organized right. crime gangster type storyline that was going on. But what you know I know you you are a story first guy, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that. Like what we said, you, this
1: one had plenty of it. Yeah, what do you think <laughs> of the art in this one? Uh, I um, Scott McDaniel is is, you know, okay, I guess. Uh, I don't know Brad Van Cotta. Um, You know it was '90s ish, and I, I, you know, I don't think that they really rose, elevated their game beyond standard '90s tropes. I would tend to agree with
0: you. I think, I think he did on the cover. I think the cover is is by far the best. My favorite art part was the book.
1: rhino. I, 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 what's that? I said I think the cover I is dropped the best out for art. A I think the cover ah, is the okay. best art in the yeah. book. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think the cover is quite good because you've got, you know, you got a number of people there. So you have to make Spider-Man front and center, but you have to have the other villains there too, and you have to have Doc Ock as a big presence. And I think having just Doc Ock's arms was just a great artistic choice. I mean it, it literally takes one figure off of that you have to squeeze in. I mean, it makes it easier in that sense, but he's the guy in control, and and you can see by looking at the cover, I mean, his arms are physically in control of Spider-Man. So I liked, I liked that. Uh, you know, how how however the details of that cover came to be. Yeah,
0: I, I I think the layout of it is is strong. I think it, it it's very yeah. compelling to look at. I think the color scheme is is well. Well done. The, the bottom of the cover is basically red, and then it lightens to orange, and then at the top, right. it's yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's, it kind of pops, uh, and, and it really does well with the colors of the respective uniforms, because by the time you get towards the top of it, you have mm-hmm. Spider-Man's red, right. and the uh, red of, uh, what's her name again? Uh, I lost already. Hardshell. Uh, mm-hmm. But by the time you get to that red, now we're we're in the orange portion of the cover, so that it's still popping. Right. right. Whereas if they were down lower where the cover is red, it would they would kind of blend a little bit more.
1: Right. Because you've got a lot of different colors, a lot of different colored characters. So again, that's part of the layout and having that uh, having that uh, sort of a you know, color change, variable color background cover sort of allows you that uh, allows now, you to do that that's nice that's, to, to me the best part of the art internally I kind of like the rhino's look his face especially because it's not really Ditko-ish but it is kind of ugly like oh, in definitely. a in, in a Ditko-ish you know reminiscent of Ditko the way he could definitely draw ugly people
0: <laughs> I think that the rhino of all the uh, characters inside the book is probably the best drawn followed by the vulture but mm-hmm. uh, but Gotten when right. when it's got close-ups of regular human faces, I don't think he does a very good job. Uh, you know, looking at the third page of the story, we have a you know close-up of Peter Parker's face that I don't think looks very good. Uh, yeah. Even more um, so when Doc Ock is feeling the pain from them uh, oh, yeah, destroying sure.
1: his original tentacles, uh, I think he looks terrible there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in love with him, even on that first page, in 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 his cell. It's supposed to be pain, but almost looks like he has vampire fangs. It looks like that maniacal could, laughter. Yeah, that could almost be a smile, you know, or laugh, like you said. that you know, it's it doesn't come across as pain.
0: The only reason it does is because of the dialogue where it tells you it, it
1: says it's pain. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 not. It's not getting across the pain. It almost looks like he's, like I said, cackling with glee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if it said that in the words, you'd believe it just as
1: much. You'd believe, exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, I, I like the fact that the story, the story's kind of all over the map, but I like the story. I feel like it's, it's leading us somewhere, and it yeah. makes me want to read the next issue. Agreed. Even though we're dealing with, you know, with the exception of Doc Ock, we're really dealing with, you know, lower-level villains – you know what, what do we have? Mm-hmm. Uh, you the Volrang.
1: H- yeah, I mean the H- Vulture and the Rhino are, are B listers. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in that second tier.
0: Yeah.
1: And, then, and then the, Vult, the Vulture is helped by the by the recent movie. He's probably lower. Would 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 be lower on the on the B team without that maybe. And then the other ones are definitely below that.
0: Yeah, I mean Stegron is uh, St- Stegron is a lizard wannabe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we are dealing with lower levels. But that levels, was a dramatic it? reveal at the end. That was yes, fun. It,
0: it was, it, and, it, and it's, it makes me want to read more. I, I You mm-hmm. know, I, I do believe the old axiom that there are no bad characters, uh, you know, that no matter how lame a character could seem, uh, a good writer can come up with a good story for him or her. So and I, I think you know for, for overall I would say that that you know we get that here Danny Fingeroth who who wrote this I think you know like I said it's a, it's a fairly convoluted plot but it's entertaining and it feels like it's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you know and you know as as we've talked about in the past you and I uh, you know one of the first criteria that I go on in in reading a you know in trying to rate a book like this is having read it the first issue of a, of a run, does it make me want to pick up the second issue?
1: Absolutely.
0: And I'd say the answer is absolutely, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I I read this. First thing I did was I went to Hoopla just to see if they had the collection. They didn't. I'm not on Marvel Unlimited, but, you know, definitely uh, definitely in- interested in the rest of the series for sure.
0: As, as am I. Enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed I, it. I, I have this series, but I haven't read
1: it yet. so <laughs>
0: So that, that that's to well, come. You're,
1: you're a quarter of the way there. Yes. Any other key points to mention in this? You know, I like I, li- I like team up books, especially I like villain team ups. I think um, I mean, one of my favorite books from the '70s was the old Secret Society of Supervillains because mm-hmm. you know I think part of the drama of this is that you know built into this si- situation. Is that none of none of these folks are uh, trustworthy? Yes, you know. uh, I mean, everyone on the team has the has the uh, capability, uh, 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 direct and indirect, to betray everybody else. So a villain team up has that just built into it. It has that it has that specific um, uh, situation. You know, built directly into it, and and that adds a drama because you always, you know, always, you know, in the back of your mind is, you know, character X is gonna is gonna betray character, you know, who, which of these guys is gonna sell out the rest of them first? I mean, that that is a plot point.
0: I think you could take it even a step further. It's not that each one could.
1: I think it's that each one is is, at some point is likely to. to. Yes, exactly. And that's different than you get with a superhero team-up.
0: Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I guess we might as well rate this. Uh, as far as the cover goes, I think it's by far the best art in the <laughs> book. Uh, I think the cover is very sharp, as I said. I, I'm, I'm going to say it doesn't quite reach A, but I'm going to say a B plus. The interior art, alas, I do not feel as strongly about. Uh, Some of the choices in, in, again, the facial expressions, I think, are weak. Some of the detail work, I think, is weak as far as that goes. The coloring looks to be off frequently uh, and occasionally overly simplistic, especially since in this era we would have had access to computerized coloring. Uh, So the art, I'm just not happy with i also don't really care for this particular style that's Mm -hmm. used in here so it's not terrible but it's not good either and to me that feels like almost definition of average so i'm going to just say c on the artwork uh the story i think is very entertaining i think it is complex there's a lot that goes on in uh what is it 24 pages of story uh, so I'm going to give the story an A minus. It's not quite epic, but it's really, really enjoyable. And I'm going to give the book overall and I'm going to give it a B plus overall.
1: Well, we are almost in lockstep on this one. I gave the the cover a, a B plus again. I think, I think that sort of cool notion of having the presence of Doc Ock, but not having him physically there. Uh, you mentioned the, the gradient in the background just as a cool choice to allow the various character costumes to pop. Uh, very good. Uh, B plus uh, there. Again, the art, you know, it's a C. It's, you know, it, it just it, it's 90s style art. It's not a terrible example of it you know, in the negative way. It, it doesn't rise above it. It's just there and that it's sort of a C. Um, and, and I gave the story just a, f- a flat B. It's a really good setup, bringing all our teammates together ends on a nice cliffhanger or reveal. The more I talk about it, maybe a B plus it's to I me. Mean, that's, uh, I uh, really like that. I haven't read enough Spider-Man to know if there are, you know, gross violations of continuity or, or, you know, character development, that sort of thing. And, you know, even if there were, probably wouldn't be all that upset about it because that sort of thing really doesn't upset me all that much anyway. So that's a B plus and a, and a high B, uh, almost a B plus uh, overall. Um, you know, like you said, you know, the, the definition of success, especially for an issue number one, is uh, is wanting to read the rest of the series, and that was a definite mission-accomplished situation here. Agreed.
0: So what do you got for us today?
1: Well, let me ask you this, Paul. I know you're a fan of sports in general, but I don't know if that extends to auto racing. Any interest in NASCAR or Indy or Formula One? Anything? No. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry to say no. Well – well, so I lived in Richmond, Virginia for 15 years, so you sort of have to become a NASCAR fan uh, during that time. It's just sort of hard to avoid it. Uh, but growing up for me, it was Indy cars, and then the last five six years, I've really gotten into Formula One over from over from Europe. And so, uh, and I think a lot of that, in addition to Max, Matchbox and Hot Wheels you know, toys, was because of the excellent animated series Speed Racer. So, I asked that because I am covering the independent this time, the new adventures of Speed Racer, number one from Now Comics. And by now, we mean December 1993. And uh, so, this is a definite all 90s, all number one episode. And I bought this one at the outrageous price of 50 cents, the local used bookstore, record store, video store, slash. Probably other things. Uh, I'm not even sure. Want to know what else gets sold out of the back of that store, but uh, uh, Pulp Reality for a solid 50 cents. Loved it. Um, so we have uh, our cover by Chuck Vojkovic, Barb Kalberg, and Patrick Williams with a you know greenishy teal sort of background showing speed, the team, and the Mach 5, and those magic words first collector's issue let me just point out as a finance professional
0: a tenure was
1: so outrageously priced <laughs> i know a tenured a finance professor that if the item you're looking at if it declares itself to be a collector's item that's an ironclad guarantee that it is not a collector's <laughs> item and just to demonstrate that in the tw- Since this publication, its value has fallen 75% because I got this $1.95 book for 50 cents. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that cover, there's not a lot to it. It's a poster shot. Uh, You know, the Mach 5 and Speed are the stars. So if you're a fan of the show, that would be enough. Uh, I don't know that it would pull anyone else in if they're not uh, familiar with it. Uh, What we have for a story is The Royal Race, written by Steve Sullivan and illustrated by Oscar Gonzalez-Loyo. No, I've never heard of either of them either. We start at mock research, learning about the new car and transport devices that the team has developed We also get some insight into the business dealings of a high-end race team as we learn that they burn through their budgets having to replace the car because speed crashed it in the last race and they're seeking some outside investors to keep the, the team running. They even dropped the correct word prospectus into the conversation. Later the team arrives at Baharmani, a West African kingdom, host of the first race in the Round the World Cup Challenge. We learn that the princess of the kingdom is rejecting her arranged marriage for fear that her new husband would just kill her father and claim the throne right after the wedding. But her primary aid may be able to help her escape. He knows people. At the Grand Feast before the race, Speed meets the princess, which makes Trixie pretty darn jealous. At the race, Speed gets into the Mach 5, while the princess is going to drive the number two car anonymously. A man with a code phrase will meet her after the race and smuggle her out of Africa. But the future husband has discovered the princess missing And thinks he knows what's happening. So as the race stretches out into the wilderness, this is a rally race, not a track race. Uh, Bad guys fire weapons at the racing cars, and the princess gets in trouble. Speed thinks he's far enough ahead to backtrack and help her, but he is risking the prize money, which the team needs him to win to be able to continue. But Speed rescues her with some fancy driving and a little nicely placed karate kicks. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek as thanks. They end up in the race one, two. But the prospective husband knows that that is not actually Jane Hitchcock behind the wheel. And they plan to grab the princess as soon as she stops her car. But she drives her car right up into the nearby mock Plane. But the driver comes out shortly thereafter for the after-race celebration. But taking off the helmet, we learn that it's not the princess, it's Trixie. Because they did a quick change switcheroo on the plane, and the princess will be in a safe house by morning. And back to the business stuff. Investors are willing to put up some money, but only if speed can win three of the remaining five races. I'll do my best. Our hero declares, I'll do my best. The end. Now, just one thing that you
0: didn't mention, and I don't Mm -hmm. know if you you just didn't notice it or if it's just thought it was inconsequential. Uh, But when – She's told she's going to be put in a a safe house. That's by Racer X.
1: Oh, I did not because I was thinking, where is Racer X? Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Very good. See, you know your Speed Racer.
0: I watched Speed Racer as a young kid when the cartoon was on, and I kind of wish the character models were a little closer to what we had back then in the, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess it was a Japanese cartoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this
1: this um, this miniseries came out as part of a sort of a, a reboot. There was a New Adventures of Speed Racer 90s mm-hmm. mini uh, cartoon series. So I imagine that's what I imagine that these character designs are closer to that, not to the classic version. Yeah, that, uh, so that we saw. Yeah.
0: Now, the classic version, you know, I remember it as a young kid and I liked it as a young kid. Uh, I suspect that I would not as an adult that's possible I've, yeah. I've avoided watching it for exactly mm. the same reason because i'd rather just have my memories remain pure so,
1: yeah. yeah well it's sort of for, for you know for for us, I sort of feel the same way, but it has taken on within the middleton family it's sort of taken on uh, almost uh a legendary status is any anytime anyone in the family this goes back to my mom. You know, when I would be, you know, ten, and uh, she'd be driving, and you know, she, would you know, uh, hit the get a little lead foot going, and you know, we'd sing the Speed Racer theme song, mm-hmm. and that has uh, sort of a, 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 a still become part of our part of our, our family lingo. Uh, the uh, go Speed Racer, go Speed Racer, go when you're driving a little too fast, or you need to you need to drive a little fast to. You're running a little late for uh, whatever situation uh, uh, you're in. Here he comes, here comes Speed Racer. He's a demon on wheel. He's a demon and he's going to be chasing after someone. He's gaining on you, so you better look alive. He's busy revving up the powerful Mach 5. And when the odds are against him and there's dangerous work, to do, you know. your life's eraser. You'll see it through. Go Speed Racer. Go
0: Speed Racer. Go Speed Racer. Go. Speed racer, go. He's open flying as he guns a car around
1: the track. He's jamming down the pedal like he's never coming back. Adventure's waiting just ahead. Go speed racer, Go speed racer. Go speed racer. Go. That's, that's one of our go-to uh, go-to catchphrases. But you're it's, it's risky because thanks to our good friend Luke Giaconetti, I have been revisiting the Ultraman TV show. And that has surprisingly held up, but I do kind of feel that maybe Speed wouldn't. I I, I think you may be on to something there.
0: Yeah, I, I – I you know, when, when they did the Speed Racer movie a few years back, which is by a few years, I guess, probably like 15 years back, uh, I personally didn't care for it. So that kind yeah. of killed any desire I had to – uh, you know, ruin my childhood memories by seeing how, what I would imagine rudimentary the animation was in the uh, original series. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't imagine that I would be. Yeah, you a might big be. Fan right you now. might be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, but I do. You know, I, conceptually, my memories of it are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was like the mystery of Racer X, who is really Speed's brother, but <gasps> no one Spotless. knows it Yes. Spoilers. (laughs) How no one knows it is beyond me, but no one is aware. (laughs) Uh, What is the the monkey? Is the monkey Chim Chim? Is that his name? Yes.
1: Yep. Uh, (laughs) Because what do they call a person who's really good with cars in a garage? A grease monkey? So Uh I think that's sort of where that concept, well, to make him a real monkey. Give him a real monkey.
0: And then the, the little brother I always found, I do remember, I always found to be kind of annoying. Yeah, which I think he was supposed to be. But
1: yes, whatever. I would say as as a younger brother myself, my sister would agree that we are supposed to be annoying. That is as, kind as, of as what with my older sister does. <laughs> See,
0: <laughs> but uh, and and then I I always found the Mach Five to be just
1: ultra cool. It's a pretty cool car. It's yeah. a pretty cool car.
0: And drawn so slick, you know the way. Yeah even yeah. even in the old version I'm sure yeah. that would come across
1: yes I imagine that would still be the highlight uh,
0: <laughs> you know this story honestly
1: comes off as a story that's intended for a younger audience yes yeah, that's, it's a cartoon it, you can tell it's a cartoon tie-in even, I, th- I think even, even, even in the art you can tell it's a bit of a cartoon tie-in
0: So I think, you know, when I look at a story like this, I have to try and view it through the eyes of the intended audience, because I don't think this is meant for a totally wide audience. Um, You know, I I guess the first aspect of it, just to kind of get it out of the way, is uh, the storytelling in here. Is it
1: racist? It's... um... It's, it's not fully sensitive. I think, I think it butts itself right up against
0: racism. <laughs> it's it's may you know, like, I think its intentions are not racist, but I yeah. think the stereotypes are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and on a practical, I, I don't know enough about my geography, but I would have thought this was more North African than Western a- West African in terms of sort of the desert. I mean, closer to a Middle East sort of situation that's uh, a very minor uh, picky point but that's that that's what they're going that's what they're going for more of a vaguely Arab type of you know desert type of situation
0: yes I think that's pretty clear it almost the princess and her father remind me of uh, the cartoon movie versions of Aladdin yeah that's fair yeah. Jasmine and I don't even remember what her father's name mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's 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 okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I'm not sure how the princess learned to drive. Uh, desert rally racing, good enough to finish, you know, about a quarter car length behind our actual hero, the actual speed racer. Uh, I I kind of like the business stuff. I mean, I always noticed that, and it wasn't terrible. You know again, for a comic book tied to a kids TV show needing investors and a prospectus and we'll get some money for you for this purpose, that incredibly simplified, but kind of reasonable. Yeah, but like you said, just the fact that they use the word prospectus is is saying something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone knew a little bit and you know i've then and then you throw in the spy stuff the secret agent sort of the code word you've got uh, you've got all of that stuff uh, which to me adds sort of a again a cartoon episode uh, feel to it
0: now i have to say you know i'm i'm not opposed to a cartoon episode mm-hmm. i spent plenty of time watching <laughs> cartoons as an adult
1: i mean we're well, you know, i mean it's we're, uh, obviously, here on Back to the Bins, you guys did a uh, retrospective of uh, Looney Tunes, and of course, I'm sure you had no fear of revisiting Looney Tunes episodes. Oh, that no, you not at all. Revisiting Speed Racer. I mean, They're different. Uh, certainly a different level there.
0: Yes, certainly. Uh, well, you know, Looney Tunes is something I've been exposed to my entire life speed right. racer is something I was exposed to as a very young kid Three period of and, time and
1: haven't been exposed to <laughs> since right it yeah, now has done a couple of reboots they had the license for a while here in the 90s and did a couple uh, did a couple reboots for the comic one was a uh, completely independent of the, of the cartoon series I think it was probably later later in in the 90s I mean same setup though you know each each issue is another race in another location. Uh, you know, mm. which you know, obviously the cartoon series uh, would be as well and that gives you a chance to do some of this international espionage or international intrigue type of stories local flavor type of stories as we pointed out you do run a certain risk when you do that though
0: uh, just one other observation I had was I mentioned uh, Princess Jasmine uh, but I also think like when she's behind the car I, I got a Penelope pit stop vibe. <laughs> yeah, just from the, the the look of the car.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you and say? I'm, I'm just going to say and if if more professional auto races actually had enemies with like anti, you know, uh, uh, automobile firing bullets. Uh, Firing live rounds at the competitors. Would that interest you in racing as a fan? That might do. Just throwing out options. (laughs) Now, you know, I've I've seen,
0: uh, you know, racing stories before, whether it's in comics or in the movies or whatever. And I'm always thrown off a little by the fact that, like, he could get out and rescue her and get into a fight and do all this stuff and still come in first. Yes. I mean, how many cars are entered into this race? Did they all stop? It sounds or like, or were they, they so so far behind that he had time enough to do all of this?
1: Yeah, the only 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 three racers get mentioned. So I guess yeah, you ha- you can't take the racing stuff seriously, okay? I mean, <laughs> it, it falls it, apart on any examination, but
0: but that, that same is, logic comes into play, you know, with the pod, uh, the pod racing in uh, Phantom Menace. Uh, you know, just just anything where where there's like some sort of chicanery going on, you know, to to hold back the uh, car that eventually comes in to win, you know, it it just you know, so if if this stuff didn't go go on, he he'd win by like you know a mile, <laughs> and even then, at the speed these cars would be racing, you know, how long does it take him to go a mile? Less than a minute, right? Right. right? They got to be going over sixty miles an hour.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: like <laughs> the, that, that, logic always just kind of bothered me in in sto-
1: in race stories. Right. I do think that this type of rally racing is a many hour race, and you can get separated uh, more so than a than a track. But your point is still highly accurate. <laughs>
0: I I mean, you know, yes, you you can, you can build up a little distance, but with all these cars in the race, I I just find it a little incredulous, but you know what? It's a cartoon story meant for a young audience and having him come in first place is the happy ending. So (laughs) from that perspective, it all makes sense, right? So I got to just. Put the point down and walk away. <laughs> That's really what it comes down
1: to, you know. But they are different medium. You know, a translating a a cartoon to a comic is not a one to one comparison. And so, you know, it it what could be could have been a good episode potentially of a cartoon the, might not be as good an issue of a comic book. Yeah, you know, that's, well, I think, that, I, I think agree with that's that. a fair that that you know, that's a fair thing to say. Now, this is the media. This is the story we're given.
0: Can't can't argue with you there. So,
1: how would you in, like in, to
0: uh, to read yeah, this thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, in terms of the cover, the only eye-catching thing about it are the words "Speed Racer." I mean, that is literally why I pulled it out of the out of the bins. Um, because it, it had those two words that worked for me. So, if, I mean, th- those words were meaningful. And so the cover worked for me. I mean, it literally did its job. Uh, but if those words, the logo, the title, you know, that's doing all the heavy lifting for a prospective comic spire. Because, you know, the rest of the cover, I mean, there's no action. It's a poster shot. It's, it's okay. But you have to, it assumes buy-in to the concept uh, already. So as a cover to a comic book, you know, it's a a C. It's okay. Um, Again, art is sort of in that same realm, maybe a C plus. It's not. It's not as anime or manga ish as as it. Speed Racer sometimes can be. Uh, The racing scenes aren't bad. I actually liked a few of the scenes in the wilderness. There were some African animals off in the distance. Um, The coloring is pretty kiddish, I think kid-friendly, simplistic. Uh, That brings it down. So you C plus-ish. I kind of like the story. Uh, I've read a number of racing or car-themed comics over the years, Mod Wheels or Grand Prix or Hot Rods. So sort of familiar with the genre and obviously speed himself. So I'm probably more willing to overlook some of the issues, uh, but I thought they put in the right amount of drama and melodrama, and they also laid in really the MacGuffin for the series, the the reason for the rest of the issues, this idea that he has to win X number of the next races. So they've built in this this, uh, specific drama. And I kind of like that they talked about the business side. So I'm willing to uh, uh, give it a full uh, nostalgia tinged B on the story for a B minus uh, overall.
0: All right, that's fair. Um, again, I'm going to try and be subjective to the extent that I want to <laughs> try and place myself into the target audience into the mindset of the target audience in reading it, because this is a book that's clearly not meant for me. Um, so the cover, I kind of agree with you. There's really not a lot about it that i um, that would catch my eye and make me want to get it beyond the fact that it's speed racer, a character that I'm familiar with. Um, as I said, I, I would be much more enticed if it was the original character model, uh, I don't know how this particular cartoon came across to a young audience back in 1993, Uh, Mm -hmm. if it was popular enough that, you know, these character models would carry the day or, uh, you know, or not. Um, So I'm going to just say a C on the cover because it's not bad. It's not good. It doesn't stand out one way or the other. Once again, pretty much average. Uh, the interior art, I think the interior art is, is actually a slight step up from that. I think it's, it's you know, it's very cartoony, but it's meant to be cartoony. Uh, but I think it's it's pretty consistent throughout. I think the storytelling is pretty well done. Uh, so I'm going to say a, a C plus, almost a B minus on the interior art. Uh, and story-wise, it's... You know, considering what you have to work with here with doing a car race on a uh, in a comic book as opposed to a, you know, an actual moving image, uh, I think it does a decent job of creating some tension. You know, the story is it's got some intrigue to it. So I'm going to say a B minus on the story. And overall, I'll give the book a C plus.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I th- think it was it. Interesting with these two books having two number ones, and to some extent, there's sort of a template that you follow in terms of telling a story and also setting up what's what's going to happen. And I, to some extent, they follow that sort of, I mean, in different ways, but I thought sort of interesting reading two, two number ones from the same air, I mean, three months apart at the same time.
0: And I, I didn't, you mentioned, I didn't, uh, the fact that, uh, it does kind of set itself up for some future stories and I have to give it some kudos for that because stories of this nature, cartoon adapt adaptations, uh, generally don't have an ongoing storyline. They usually just, you know, one and done stories. So to, to actually create a, a through thread through the series, is kind of impressive for a series of this nature
1: mm-hmm. yeah so
0: i guess that will do it for uh, our two books today want to thank you for coming on and as always I'd like you to just take a moment and pimp your uh, your podcasting
1: well thank you so much it's always a, always here to answer the bin signal Whenever I see that up in the sky, I'm not going to describe what the bin signal looks like, but I recognize it, and that's what counts, okay? <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Uh, most of our work can be found over at the Relatively Geeky podcast network run by me and my only child, M. Over there, you can find the Quarter Bin podcast, the Comics Reading Journal, and various other things. And the two of us have also been doing a side project for coming up on five years now. Uh Darkness to Light, which has its own feed. And over there we talk about specifically religious or spiritual content that appear in various bits of pop culture. And as always, a pleasure to be back on the Dimonza Core property. I'm still glad I'm still glad my key code still works. I'm going to have to talk to them about that. Eh, you know. (laughs) Can't believe they haven't
0: updated the system in all this time. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at Bins at 2TrueFreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the 2 True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.2truefreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiMonzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the 2 com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Nah, that sucks.